1: Hello and welcome to Witch Please, a fortnightly podcast about the Harry Potter world. I'm Marcel Cosman.
2: And I'm Neil Barnholden.
1: Today we're tackling the five trailers for Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Five trailers plus the Fantastic Beasts IMAX fan event featurette, which isn't one of the trailers available under the movies section of the Fantastic Beasts website, but I found it on YouTube, so we watched it. And it says Warner Brothers, so you know it's official. But before we get started, I first want to say that um, one of our listeners pointed out that this is going to be a five-film adaptation (gasps) of like the smallest book in the history of time. So small that it's putting Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy to shame, (gasps) and I died, and now I'm a ghost. And so, Neil, you should know that you're recording this episode with a ghost. Uh, And then the second thing that I want to say is that I actually really hate watching trailers for a movie that I plan to see, because I like to go to a movie with as little information about it as possible. I'll, like, see a poster and be like, that looks like a movie I want to go see, and then I will go and see it and have no idea what it's about. (gasps) So... I'm only doing this for you, dear listeners. I have basically just ruined Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them for you. Aww. So, Neil, you had something that you wanted to say at the start of the episode, too, right? That's
2: right. I sure did. I just wanted to comment that on Twitter, um, my comment in the past episode that trailers are adaptations of some kind was taken up in a really interesting way uh, by two listeners, of which, please... Uh, Wait
1: a second. That was my comment.
2: (gasps) Wait, was it?
1: Yeah. I said that trailers were adaptations and you were like, what? You're blowing my mind. Shit.
2: (laughs) Can we just bleep this for misogyny?
1: It was a really good idea and I appreciate that you stole it. Anyway, make the point that you wanted to make anyway. (laughs)
2: I'm really sorry. (laughs) No, uh, I just want. I just wanted to say, uh, listeners. Uh, Marina Reed writes, and Sam L uh, had a really interesting conversation about what other things might be unexpectedly considered as adaptations, mm-hmm. particularly thinking about um, the back cover summaries, and I think Marina Reed made a really interesting point about the idea that the adaptation shouldn't be something that is attached to the original in some way.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me, because when we were sort of teasing out the idea of whether or not we can really think of trailers as adaptations, I don't know, there was like a sticky point that we couldn't really get past, and I think that that really clarifies things. Like, it can't be an adaptation if it's just like... An introduction to the source material, right? Like you wouldn't call the introduction to a collection of essays an adaptation. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like, has elements of an adaptation, but is not an adaptation. Yeah.
2: It was it was a really uh, relevant point to bring up in terms of clarifying what what we're actually talking about here, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of Marcel's mind blowing idea <laughs> of trailers as adaptations,
1: <laughs> which turns out was incorrect. So. You know what, Neil? You can have that idea, because it was wrong.
2: (laughs) No, no. Take it. Take it.
1: (laughs) Okay, so we're going to divide this episode up uh, by first talking about the trailers for the movies, just as trailers for these movies, and then we're going to talk about um, how the trailers interpolate viewers into the wider Harry Potter fan franchise. Okay, so Neil, I need to know, what is the difference between a trailer and a teaser? Because when we went to the Fantastic Beasts website and it went to videos, it has on the top listed trailer, teaser trailer, a new hero, Comic Con trailer, and final trailer. I didn't see any difference between trailer and teaser trailer. So can you explain what the heck the difference is between those two things?
2: I have to admit, I'm really stumped on this one, actually, because I had always believed that teasers were shorter and less plot-based, that they were maybe a central image or sort of dialogue or introducing the concept. Mm-hmm. You, you know, as the name implies, more of a of sort of tease to the audience, I hadn't really thought about the term teaser-trailer much less for this film where the teaser trailer is the same length and pretty much exactly the same as less difference between it than between a new hero and the other three trailers. Mm-hmm. I, I actually don't know. I don't know if it's just become a meaningless term. Mm-hmm. So okay. I thought I knew what it meant, uh, and uh, but I am wrong.
1: Okay, so maybe we can think of the teaser as being like a wedding invitation because it used to be that wedding invitations were the thing that notified you that two people were getting married and they're getting married on this date, so you should come. But now people send save the dates. Mm -hmm. So maybe the – no, this parallel isn't working at all. Let me try another one. Maybe it's like a promise ring where, like, it used to be that you would give somebody an engagement ring to be like, I want to marry you, let's get married. But now people give promise rings – To be like, someday I'm going to put an engagement ring on your finger, which is a promise that someday I'm going to put a wedding ring on your finger. You know what? This isn't working either. Never mind. This is just like a foray into why I find the wedding industrial complex so confusing.
2: I think there is, to be honest, a connection between what you're talking about. Because for the same reason that the wedding industrial complex has sort of disarticulated all the parts of a wedding Mm -hmm. and expanded them to an infinite length, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what the entertainment industrial complex has done to movies and their previews. So the idea that you would have a trailer, a teaser that appears at a comic convention in a huge event, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a year or more before the movie is even released or featurettes that are released while the movie's being filmed. Mm -hmm. There's those sort of, you know, interviews that appear with people while they're on set before the movie's been released. Mm -hmm. I think that is the same impulse to kind of maximize the product or the exposure of the product. So I, I think that's entirely pertinent. Great. Also, the wedding industrial complex is always pertinent.
1: <laughs> it's never not inappropriate to talk about how it is bananas. Okay, cool. Great. Neil, you were going to talk a little bit about trailers. Talk to me about trailers in general. And like, like we talked last time, I got you to explain what the function of a trailer is. So expand on that.
2: Well, generally the point of a trailer, as, as we talked about last week, is to give the audience a sense of what the movie will be like and to some extent what it's about. Uh, and part of what's interesting about this variety of trailers is that you can see different approaches that they've taken to it.
0: Lumos maximum.
2: There's different tonal shifts uh, that we can talk about. There's different focuses on different characters.
0: You're an interesting man, Mr. Skamander. Just like your suitcase, I think there's much more to you
2: than meets the eye. Some trailers seem to imply that it is very much focused on the character of uh, Newt Scamander whose name I always have to think about for a split second before pronouncing it and then some movies imply that it is in fact a kind of sprawling cast that has large numbers of people
3: you've known for 24 hours that an unregistered wizard set magical beasts loose in New York yes where is this man
2: I don't think I've seen a single trailer where John Voight says anything, despite the fact that he seems to be a fairly significant character.
1: I'm curious because you had sort of you had sort of made a reference to how like we're not really supposed to notice them. Oh. Am I getting I'm remembering that wrong. You didn't quite say that. You said something smarter than that. Explain it.
2: Well that boy, that's a that's a real lead in <laughs> to my next comment. It
1: was brilliant, Neil. Can you repeat it? <laughs>
2: Um, Well, I'll just tell you something that you said earlier and claim that I thought of it first. Par for the course. This might be the shark jumping moment of which, please. (laughs) No, I was going to say that uh, when, when, when we were watching trailers or when we were talking about trailers for the last episode, we were noticing that we were having an extremely hard time keeping track of what trailers were released at different times what was different about trailers basically the the variance between trailers and i was thinking about it more afterwards and i think that we're not supposed to notice that i think that we're not really supposed to be carefully parsing how many different trailers come out or when they're released or to be aware of the way in which they're maybe playing to different audiences. I mean, I understand that fans do actually parse trailers in a huge, huge amount of detail, Mm -hmm. um, as, you know, do uh, some professionals, right? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that we, the kind of lay audience, are actually supposed to really think about that very much, that there are different trailers.
1: You must be right, because if we were supposed to think about them, they probably wouldn't all have different beginnings i don't know like like every pretty much every one of the trailers not the like fan event things not the fan event videos but the the trailer trailers that we watched they all start uniquely
0: no most maxima Most maximum.
3: You've known for 24 hours that an unregistered wizard.
0: It was like um, like a ghost.
1: Like they have similar elements, but it's not like you're watching it and you're like, I wonder which one this is. They're all distinct things which like I think ironically suggests that you're not supposed to focus on those things right you're just supposed to experience them as different things like oh this is a trailer for Fantastic Beasts I haven't seen this yet it's almost like trailers gaslight you into thinking that you haven't seen the trailer for the movie yet because you're like what's this Fantastic Beasts oh I don't know if that's right
2: I mean I think that there's a I think that they're supposed to remind you that this movie exists, Mm -hmm. but not bore you by showing you the same two minutes over and over again. That's a really... I'm thinking about that in terms of gaslighting. That is actually (laughs) fairly insidious, if you think about it. I mean, it's basically using the device of some kind of doubt that you have about your own experiences. Mm -hmm. So you know you've heard of Fantastic Beasts, but you don't know whether you've seen this trailer. And in fact, in practice, if you watch trailers at the movies, it's very, very hard to tell if you've seen that exact trailer before because mm. you have no means of comparing them directly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, huh. Yeah,
1: oh man. The days before YouTube, right? When you are like, have I seen it? I don't know.
2: You gotta go see me, Joe Black, like an Ugh. idiot. Like an Ugh. idiot.
1: Like a chump. So we've talked a lot in the last episode about just the sheer quantity of trailers and the like trailers that happen for different events. Um, what is the point of a Comic-Con trailer, and why is a comic convention trailer its own beast, if you will?
2: I think that it is largely about uh, presenting a sort of novel trailer that has some element of novelty to it Mm -hmm. to an extremely, extremely receptive audience.
0: It was like, um, like a ghost. I saw its eyes, shining white eyes, and it dove down underground.
2: I I once went to San Diego Comic-Con, and I saw the debut trailer for the Guillermo del Toro movie. Oh, it's the one, you know, don't, it's like, don't look in the basement. (laughs) Don't too scary. Don't I can't even look in the it. walls or whatever. Oh my God. It's actually a very forgettable movie. I think he maybe only produced it. Uh, I don't. He was there. But the thing is, that room went bananas wow. for that trailer. And that movie did not, I mean, it wasn't all that interesting. But what I remember actually is that it was the same year that the trailer for The Adventures of Tintin came out. And it was impossible to get into that room to see that trailer. Even though that trailer isn't going to be kept under wraps or a secret. And it's not like only the people in that room ever get to see it. And everything that happens at Comic-Con is available somewhere else in some way. But I think that it's about an extremely receptive audience to build a certain kind of fan enthusiasm for it. So I basically think it's a pre-selected audience, whether it's San Diego or any other comic convention. Yeah, if you think about it, by definition, the people who are there are people who have gone out of their way probably to fly a very, or to travel a very long distance. And then they also have to choose to go into, you know, to wait or go into the room to see a trailer for something. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that's also the reason why smaller conventions like our local uh, con actually doesn't really do trailers or right. kind of previews of movies that are coming out. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Yeah. It's true, it doesn't. Does Calgary? I, I don't know.
2: I mean, I mean this, these are very general yeah. generalizations. I, you know, I haven't looked over all the programs.
1: I could probably look this up on the internet. That would be reasonable.
2: <laughs> I don't even... I'm not even going to research the previous episode of this show. I, I'm not, <laughs> not even
1: going to listen to it. I refuse.
2: Everything great was my idea.
1: That's... I mean, you're a man, so obviously. That's a great point, Marcel. Maybe a man would like to make it... Before we get into the stuff about, like, how the trailers get us into the Harry Potter world, what do you think of the trailers? Talk to me about the trailers. How do they make you feel?
2: One thing that's really interesting about these trailers is that they're, they're portraying a really, really strange kind of movie, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are all extremely insistent on the fact that it's a period piece, mm-hmm. but it's also a special effects-heavy fantasy movie, which is a really, really strange combination Mm. that I I think is actually kind of much weirder than it appears to be. I mean, I'm really hard-pressed to think of another version of that.
0: First trip to America? Yes. Must get that fixed. Anything edible in there? Um, uh, no, no. Any livestock? No. Welcome to New York.
1: I
2: mean, it's strange because movies that are set in a recognizable period of the past have some kind of relationship to authenticity or to reality or to history particularly. Mm -hmm. But since this is a fantasy movie...
1: Something is stalking our city. Wreaking destruction and then disappearing without a trace.
0: Witches live among us.
2: Sort of by definition, no, it's not actually something that ever happened Mm -hmm. and it's not set in the real world and it's not, you know, it's not a story about something that happened that you should know more about or you should be interested in because it's real, Mm -hmm. which is very strange, actually.
1: It's funny because when we were watching, I don't even, I can't tell any of the trailers apart anymore, so I don't even know which one it was or if it was like a bunch of them. It was like a fever dream. But there's the part where a bunch of shit in New York starts exploding.
3: He this is related to Grendelwald's attacks in Europe. This could mean war.
0: And I was like, we got a plan, right, guy?
1: How are they going to tie this into the history of New York City? And then I was like, Wait, it's a fantasy movie. They don't have to. And then I was like, Wait, no, it's a historical period movie that's like trying to connect to the actual fascist uprising of the 20s. So are they going to? Like, yeah. you're right. Yeah, you're totally right that it's like a really, if you will, strange beast. <laughs>
2: it's totally unclear to me from the trailer whether this is uh, a secret history or an alternate history or just mm-hmm. a sort of fantasy that doesn't try to touch on real things that have happened. I mean, certainly things in well, I, I don't I don't want to get into the paratext, but the paratext strongly implies that it's someone's version of actual events. But yeah, I think they're uh intriguing trailers for that because I think that as much as that can seem incoherent, it it is interesting. I mean, it's not a very common uh sort of style or genre to look into.
1: Do you think that this is a new genre? Is Fantastic Beasts somewhere to Find Them going to usher in a new genre of fantastic period pieces? Capital F Fantastic, not like Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> Which is fantastic. <laughs> I wonder,
2: actually. That, that's a really good question. I mean, I'm having a very hard time thinking of other movies that have this kind of tone Uh, With the obvious exception of, you know, well-known franchise, Harry Potter. But, uh, well, this is, we're really through the looking glass here. You
1: know what? Actually, you know what's so interesting about that is that Harry Potter is supposed to take place in, like, the 90s. And it's not set. The movies are not set in the 90s. It could have been... Like, I mean, I guess it would have been weird to be releasing movies in the, like, late 90s, early 2000s that were set in the early 90s, so maybe that would have been weird, but it kind of would have been precious.
2: Although, this does bring me to something about Fantastic Beasts that I also find...
1: <laughs> <laughs> <what> you're doing. <laughs> yeah,
2: remember that movie, uh, like, uh, Fabulous Creatures and Their Locations? <laughs> yeah. One thing that I find really interesting about... about uh the Wizarding World portrayed in it is that it, it seems extremely modern mm-hmm. for its time. The What you see of the, um, what is it called, the Magical Congress of the United States or whatever? Yeah. I, it's those words, but I don't think it's in that order. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's sort of a brand new building for mm-hmm. the 1920s, which seems in such contrast uh, to what the Ministry of Magic looks like. I know I'm verging into a comparative mm-hmm. thing, but it's, it's interesting to me to take... A concept like magic that we might associate or fantasy, which you might associate with a kind of mythic past mm-hmm. and set it in a very recognizable modern past, mm-hmm. which I assume is why they didn't do that in the Harry Potter movies. Right. Maybe that was just too much to negotiate, or I do think it would be very jarring if you know Voldemort wants to know what happened in the eighties
1: yeah, Voldemort shows up and somebody has like the Eve Six album playing on their discman. <laughs> and somebody's like want to put my tender heart in a blender voldemort you can have it i'm your death eater for life (laughs) Ugh, what a weird time the 90s were oh my god did the trailer make you want to see the movies any more than you already did want to see them or sorry i keep saying the movies because i can't get it out of my head that there are going to be five Forever. This is just one. This is we just watched 5 trailers for one movie. They're going to that means we're going to see 25 trailers at least, Neil. Jesus god. Anyway, I assume that like people like us and probably a good chunk of our listenership already wanted to see this movie. Do the trailers like amplify that feeling for you at all? I think they did for me. I think.
2: I think so. I mean, I want to see them and I still do, it's kind of hard to gauge what experience the trailers have had, particularly if you don't normally watch all the trailers for a movie, as you were alluding to. I Mm -hmm. mean, now you and I have seen about, what, seven minutes of this movie, Mm -hmm. you know, from random, well, not random, but from parts of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I I think it worked for me, though. I mean, it, it raised questions. I guess it provided details that I don't, fully know what's going to happen with them in the actual movie as opposed to details where that seems sort of groaningly obvious Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. i don't know
1: yeah like those handy gestures to heterosexual romance those were so helpful because i was worried that there wouldn't be any heteronormativity in this film whatsoever but i feel reassured having seen it that there will be at least two instances of heterosexual coupling (laughs)
2: That is a really good point. Now, we do know at least how roughly four characters will end this movie. It actually, yeah, it's extremely predictable.
1: Neil, you love the Niffler. Tell us about your feelings about the Niffler.
2: I I do love the Niffler, uh, and I think the Niffler is showcased in at least one trailer where there's a sort of very clear shot of it, and... There are different fantastic beasts that get this kind of showcase treatment at various points. Mm-hmm. I like the Niffler because it seems adorable. And I have to admit that I had no preconceived imagining of what the Niffler looked like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do find the visualizing of those details uh, to be pretty interesting. I just think it's cute. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what the deal is. It's just, a, uh, as I said on Twitter, it's a gold thieving platypus yeah i mean what did you call it? i called it i called it a platy pilfer uh, they call them nifflers in in england
1: <laughs> no madges and platy pilfers
2: marcel is there a fantastic beast that you find particularly interesting from these trailers
1: from these trailers no I talk a big game about not being heterosexual.
0: <laughs>
1: but Newt's Commander is exactly my type. <laughs> Which is a, like poofy haired dandy. <laughs> so I would say. <laughs> the most fantastic beast of all. The most fantastic Man. beast of all. Man. <laughs> Sexy but a, like, mega-femi dandy man. (laughs) So I would say that that there was that. I feel like I learned a lot about myself watching... watching these trailers. It's like, he's got such a great jacket and his hair is so poofy and he has freckles. Who knew that I was interested in these things? One of the things that I think is inescapable about these trailers is the way that they lean so heavily into the Harry Potter franchise.
0: Lumos Maximum.
1: At no time could anybody be confused that this movie is part of the Harry Potter universe. You would never mistake this movie for being its own thing. is interesting to me because it's not Canon. It is a like or sorry, it is Canon because JK. Rowling said so. But it's paratext. it's it's an adaptation of paratext that is now its own story. So I find this really interesting and there are so many ways that the trailers um, invoke Harry Potter and ensure that the viewers know how invested this movie is in the Harry Potter universe. And one of the big ways that these trailers do that, is with J.K. Rowling.
3: In Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, you're learning about a part of magical history that's talked about in the Potter books that you never see. I'm getting a chance to tell that now.
1: Her name appears in all of them, like writer and producer, or just writer or whatever, J.K. Rowling. But in a couple of them, they actually have an interview with her spliced throughout the video... My heroes are
3: always people who feel themselves to be set apart, stigmatized, or othered. That's at the heart of most of what I write. And it's certainly at the heart of this movie.
1: And I thought that that was really interesting, not least because she looks so great. But her presence there really sanctions these films as deeply ingrained in the Harry Potter world. Yeah, I
2: thought it was really interesting um, that obviously in the trailers where they have used portions of an interview with her, they've obviously it's a much longer interview and they've taken parts
3: of it. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them it was a textbook that Harry Potter used at school. While I was writing Potter, I became quite interested in Newt Scamander. So I knew quite a lot about Newt.
2: In one of them, she says of fantastic beasts and where to find them that this is where she always wanted to go with the story
3: exactly i know this was always where i was interested in going this is what i wanted to do
2: it's so fascinating marcel what what do you think about that particular quote
1: It feels to me like it was pulled from a much more contextual statement. It feels like she was saying, when I wrote Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, this movie is where I always wanted to go. You know, something like that. It really feels like that. But instead, it makes it sound like all of Harry Potter leads to this five film series, (laughs) which is just so ridiculous.
2: Do you think that if J.R.R. Tolkien was alive, there would be a quote from him somewhere saying that he always envisioned the Hobbit as being exactly as long as the Lord of the Rings trilogy?
1: (laughs) To be honest, the Hobbit movies are so bad. I am amazed that J.R.R. Tolkien didn't claw his way out of his grave and murder Peter Jackson in the night. (laughs) That is what I think about that. Do
2: you, do you think Peter Jackson ever out of the corner of his eye just sees a hooded figure wearing tweed just approaching?
1: And just and just silently shaking his head no. <laughs> Another thing that I found really remarkable about the the pull quotes from J.K. Rowling's interview is when she talks about her heroes. My heroes are always people who feel themselves to be set apart,
3: stigmatized, or othered. That's at the heart of most of what I write. And it's certainly at the heart
1: of this movie. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is coming from the person who has blocked indigenous activists on Twitter for critiquing her representations and appropriations of indigeneity? Like, are you kidding me? You who have like participated in egregious othering yourself through your books? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Yeah, so I thought that that was amazing.
2: this whole conversation about J.K. Rowling herself appearing in the trailers raises so many questions about authorial intent mm-hmm. that that quote is a really good flashpoint for it. because it, it I mean, it does make you think... It makes me think differently just about what it is that she has been trying to do mm-hmm. with these different things. So one thing that I think became clear in some of the controversy about this movie is that um, Rowling... and and many uh, people who are fans of the series see a kind of distinction between allegorical ideas of othering and then actual othering that takes place in our world. So you have this sort of Hogwarts that represents one thing but is actually made up of a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. I may be pulling part of this from earlier Witch Please episodes. That's the theme of this episode, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) That quote kind of cinches it where it, it turns out that the stories have always been about othering, even when they are othering. Mm-hmm. This yeah. It's just very, very strange. I agree.
1: It's almost like it's... Uh, I want to be very careful with my words here because I do not want to give J.K. Rowling a pass for this. But it's almost like her stories in their othering are themselves so allegorical that you're supposed to learn a lesson from the othering that appears and that it isn't just like unconscious reiterations of white supremacy and like heteronormativity and patriarchy and colonialism that exist in our everyday in our everyday world, right? I feel like we have to talk about magic in North America. <laughs> like we, <laughs> magic in North America makes me so angry and stressed out. Um, and I had considered for a little while maybe that we should like reject the entire Fantastic Beasts uh, franchise because of its association with magic in North America. Um, but Neil, you, you pointed out when we were watching this that like, do you remember exactly the words that you used to describe it? Because they were really great.
2: Yeah. I was saying that one one thing that strikes me as very strange about it is that all other things, uh, granted the history of magic in North America is also very gratuitous Mm -hmm. to what fantastic beasts looks like, because it would seem that fantastic beasts and where to find them is not at all concerned, uh, with the relationship between settler communities and, uh, natives, it would appear to not really be engaging with those issues. So it remains very gratuitous. Like it's not as though someone, uh, ambushed JK Rowling and demanded that she explain the history of, uh, the, the colonization of North America. you know off the top of her head or anything and it would seem that this movie is not really about that at all Mm, I've heard someone mentioned that one of the beasts that we see at one point uh, is a thunderbird Mm -hmm. apparently which you know is appropriation but is also totally unclear from the trailer it's not at all clear from the trailer that that's uh, a being that has been appropriated from a different spiritual tradition or a different religion Mm -hmm. at all
1: if we go back to that conversation we had earlier about what is the word that I'm looking for, the like generic fusion that this movie seems to be suggesting about period pieces and fantasy, it seems to be. I guess that that is very much what she is doing with the history of magic in North America. Hamina, yeah, she's like she's like mixing history or like historical fiction with fantasy but in a way that's like extremely irresponsible for somebody who sees themselves as admiring people who have been othered and stigmatized i dare say colonized i got i i guess it makes me a little bit anxious for what we're actually going to see in the movie itself, yeah. um, because you're right, like the, the trailers make those history tracks completely irrelevant, right? Or not irrelevant. What did you say? You said gratuitous. gratuitous. Yeah, gratuitous. completely gratuitous. gratuitous. Mm-hmm. And so if they were so important to release, I'm curious how they will feed into the film itself. the The IMAX fan event... Has a moment with a woman who could be wearing a headdress. You know which of your creatures was responsible, Mrs. Gamember?
0: Look at the marks. No creature did this.
1: And I just feel like indigenous people have such minimal representation that if the only representation that they get in this film is like deeply appropriative and not at all respectful I don't I just oh my god I don't even know what to say I'm like speechless with anxiety about this right now
2: well I I mean it's it's in a position where you now you would expect that horribly the best case scenario would just be a total erasure of any native characters or native presence right that I mean I only mean the best case scenario you know that is not an acceptable scenario but the release of History of Magic in North America led you to believe that actually the story was going to be deeply about this Mm -hmm. sort of horrible uh, kind of version of fantasy stories meeting this sort of very uh, shallow misunderstanding of actual history Mm -hmm. and, and actual cultures but I, I know now i'm i'm left in a position where i think well the best case scenario is that it won't come up at all mm-hmm. actually which is awful and as you say that's the reason representation is so minimal and mm-hmm. that expectations would be so low yeah. Yeah. but i think and i mean if there really is a thunderbird in the movie uh, as some fans seem to speculate then yeah we're really in for it if that's the representation <laughs>
1: I also feel like it's very important to add at this moment, in case anybody out there is listening and thinking this, and is like, yeah, but if there's an Indigenous actor playing that part of the person who's wearing the headdress, it's okay. I want you to know that it's not okay. And Indigenous actors need jobs, and it is a thing where, like, just, like, watch... Aziz Ansari's Master of None, he's got a great episode about how if you are a racialized person, you have to take whatever jobs you can get, and very often they are, like, shitty garbage jobs that do not do a good job representing, like, who you actually are as a person in the world and instead just make you into some sort of stock character. So the fact that that person is played by an Indigenous woman is not a reason to be like, it's okay, Let's leave this conversation behind because this is going to, we're going to have so much more to say about this when we actually see the movie. Let's go back to talking about the ways that this movie brings us like deep into the Harry Potter world, despite not having our favorite Harry Potter characters, right? Except, oh, maybe it has Albus Dumbledore? What?
2: What? Yeah, we, we had noticed that it seemed as the trailers went on and as more were released, there were more explicit references uh, to Harry Potter, particularly to to Hogwarts, uh, to Dumbledore, and to Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. There's a concept in comic studies of the super reader, mm-hmm. uh, which is a reader who is thoroughly conversant with all the text and paratext and deeply mm-hmm. cognizant of references and mm-hmm. things. And that's that's the audience that is maybe imagined, but it's the one that gets all the references and all the continuity things. And Grindelwald to me is a kind of cusp character on that. I mean, he really trends into being so obscure that mm. it makes perfect sense. Nobody on the street is kind of like, oh, Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy who's in one scene of the movies and was, yeah. you know, talked about a couple times. Yeah, I don't I, I find that kind of interesting because I don't know what invoking Grindelwald's name does for a larger audience or for a movie audience.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, d- I don't know what. Do, what do you think?
1: Well, yeah, that's super interesting because it because you're right in the movies. Grindelwald like barely has Grindelwald barely exists in those movies, right? Like we concluded when we watched it that he just looked like a Nazi, and then we looked up his the actors filmography on imdb and found it that like that's typically what he plays no, he plays them, yeah. yeah just all nazis so he could have very well just been like a stock character right the like the like nazi character who we make passing reference to but in the books he's much more important and plays a much greater role so in that sense it feels like invoking grindelwald is a nod to the book reading audience right. that like no no these movies are for you too These movies aren't just for the people who don't actually care about Harry Potter and just like magic movies. These movies are for you. This is new material. There are ways in which we connect to the Potter books that I
3: think people will find surprising. They think this is related to Grindelwald's attacks in Europe. We're talking about the first time a wizard rose and threatened the world order.
2: That makes a lot of sense to me because I think that the specific elements of the plot that delved uh, into Dumbledore and Grindelwald's shared past quite a bit uh, in the last two books, I think, Mm -hmm. right? Last book, two movies, (laughs) sorry. It was the events of the last two movies. Um, Those events were taken out of the movies uh, as countless other things were, I assume, to make a more streamlined kind of filmic experience. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. It's interesting then that these, these movies are apparently bringing back a reference that i just assume just doesn't have the same kind of weight mm-hmm. uh particularly invoking both dumbledore and grindelwald mm-hmm. in this is quite interesting because we we know from reading the books that they have this very sort of share this very interesting shared history that the movies sort of didn't even come close to so yeah, it is really yeah. interesting. But I agree with you that maybe there's a distinction with book readers versus movie viewers on this one.
1: I'm thinking now about the other things that it brings up. It also, like, there's this thing that happens where the Colin Farrell character asks Newt's commander, or not asks so much as, like, poses inquiringly to him, like, why does Albus Dumbledore like stand up for you or something something like that like what does he why does he champion you like whatever i wonder
3: what makes albus dumbledore so fond of you mr
1: Scamander. and i think that that does two things for the people who are into shipping it like opens up a whole host of exciting homoerotic subtext that we can read into the relationship between Newt Scamander and Albus Dumbledore and the person who we know for a fact is Albus Dumbledore's greatest lost love, Grindelwald. Sexy! But it also connects Newt Scamander to Harry Potter by being the like young man who Albus Dumbledore champions because he believes in him, right? So that's interesting. No,
2: you're right. That, that seems like a very explicit attempt to indicate that Dumbledore's seal of protagonist approval has passed.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't worry, we see Newt Scamander gently tucking a strand of hair behind Queenie? Queenie? Was it Queenie? I don't know. Behind a beautiful woman's ear. So, like, don't worry, everyone. It's a heterosexual love story, I promise. Okay, and then the other thing that we have to talk about is the music. Right? Um, Because every single one of these trailers begins with very unique music that sounds like Harry Potter. But then every single one of these trailers ends with the Harry Potter theme. Every single one.
0: No human could do what this thing is capable of. Mr. Scamander!
1: Neil, what do you make of that?
2: Well, in some ways I wonder if the key to all of this is the music, Mm -hmm. right? Because the trailers also start with, they don't miss I mean, one of them begins with a reference to Hogwarts actually, but the rest of them begin with sort of unfamiliar scenes or unfamiliar Mm -hmm. characters. I wonder if, you know, that's the way that by the end of these trailers, when you see the title in the Harry Potter font and you're hearing the Harry Potter music kind of slow down a little or at a different Mm -hmm. speed, then maybe it is supposed to resolve Uh, the tension between these new images and the familiar Mm -hmm. of Harry Potter. That's really interesting. I feel like if the movie had a title that was, you know, Newt Scamander and the Fantastic Beasts, Mm -hmm. maybe you wouldn't have to do that as much. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, Newt Scamander himself is a fairly obscure character from Harry Potter, so, huh. I hadn't thought of this before, but maybe that also functions as a kind of reference that book readers would be more apt to pick up on.
1: This definitely warrants a mini-sode about music, so maybe we'll, we'll look into that. We'll look into people who we know who might want to talk about that.
2: What are your quick thoughts, though, Marissa?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, as a viewer, whenever I hear the Harry Potter music, my heart fills with joy. And so, it was very much, for me, an experience of, like, reassurance when I had asked you at the beginning if this, if the trailers made you like more excited or not to see the films, um, something that I was thinking in the back of my head was that, like, really for me, it's less the trailers and more the music. Like, the presence of the music really did work. It really did fire up my blood and make me stoked to see the movie in a way that I probably wouldn't have felt if I hadn't seen the trailers. And again, this coming from the person who, like, hates watching trailers.
2: For a very long time, I did actually think that the title of this movie was Fabulous Beasts and Where to Find Them. And I realized that denotatively, those are synonyms. Yeah. But connotatively, Fabulous Beasts sounds like a pretty good but very different movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it sure does. It's probably directed by John Waters instead of David Yates. Thanks dear listeners for traveling into the future to join us for episode 18.5 of Witch Please. The rest of our episodes are available on our website, owitchplease.ca. If you like to listen to us while you wash your dishes outside of a Wi-Fi zone, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes or any podcast platform you so desire. And speaking of iTunes, there's always room in the future for new iTunes reviews, so if you want to make a mark on digital history, you can leave us a rating or a review right there. If you're the type of person who likes to plan out your reviews in advance, why not do so over a warm mug of hot chocolate decorated with our faces? Mugs, both the at-home and travel variety, are available along with a ton of other merch at society6.com slash please you can find the link on our website. Special thanks, as always, to Trevor Chow Fraser, our erstwhile tech support and the robot of our hearts.
3: Hi, how are you doing?
1: And a neon color blocked dancing cat gif to everyone who's been tweeting at us. You better believe that when we next have a canon episode, the Twitter list will be its own minisode in length. Next week, Hannah and I will be appearing IRL at Tufts University in Massachusetts. That's right, witches, we will be in the land of plenty, by which I mean gluten-free veggie dogs and beer. Plans are still being ironed out, but if by the time we release this mini they're all set, I'll just re-record this and insert it now. Details are still in the works, but we'll be hosting a Witch Please meetup somewhere in the Boston area on the afternoon of Monday, November 14th. We promise it will be appropriate for all ages, unlike our podcast... And we'll release more details on both our website and Twitter as they develop. If you have any suggestions for an all-ages location where we can get gluten-free veggie dogs and maybe gluten-free beer, please let us know. We'd love to have a place for everybody to get together. On Tuesday, November 15th, join us for our panel discussion with Tufts University visiting professor Lydia X. C. Brown about disability, queerness, and magic in Harry Potter. The talk starts at 630 and will be in the Remus Sculpture Court. Be sure to check out the details of the Facebook event for more info. We're also holding a podcasting workshop for members of the Tufts University Podcasting Network. So if that's you, we're super excited to meet you in person. Okay, back to the regular recording. It's going to be awesome. And if you are within a commutable radius of Medford, Massachusetts, you should totally come. So if you want to compare lipstick shades and set the patriarchy on fire in real life, come and join us. But until then,
2: later witches.